Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Sprites of Life podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Chris. And I'm Don. And welcome back to another episode. We're glad to have you here. Question for the both of you. Did Ganondorf do anything wrong? If the bar here is anything wrong, you're going to lose. Okay. Did he do anything truly catastrophic? I mean, the things he did literally got him named Calamity. Which is cool, to be fair. Okay. But, like, hear me out. I feel like, I mean, Tears of the Kingdom is out. I mean, while we're recording, this is not out. But when it comes out, it'll be out. And let me guess. It gets a 9 to a 10 on IGN. Everyone loves it. Wow, I can predict the future. But I'm saying that Breath of the Wild showed us an ecosystem that was pretty healthy. And here, and that's my stance, is that Ganondorf turns out to be kind of a jerk to people, but is really nice to the environment. So I stand as the animal guy of, did Ganondorf truly do anything wrong? At least this time around. I will admit the other stuff can be pretty bad. Luckily, you have the next 40 plus minutes to convince me. Because I am not on your side. <laughs> okay, okay. You know what? We'll sweeten the deal. We won't just talk about that. How about we talk about like how to beat up some of the enemies biology style? That is fair. Okay, cool. Don, you cool with that? Sounds good to me. Sweet. So uh, let's get to some news before we get into any of this. So um, you had some science news about poop, I think. Yes. It was not poop. It's about our guts. That's That turns to poop. I mean, th- it's poop adjacent. Okay, okay. So we have a new study out about human guts that's actually pretty interesting if you're into anatomy. So the first author on this study, Amanda Hale, was looking at the variability of lengths in human intestine. Because uh, what she said is that the actual anatomy of the guts themselves have been, as her quote, largely been ignored since more than a century ago. Basically what she has been saying or what she says in her study is that there's kind of like the textbook image of what gut should look like and that the belief since uh, for a long time has been that's what they should look like in everyone including up to the length of your intestines and what she has come out in her study is showing that that is not the case or that might not be the case and that everyone's much like all other aspects of humanity our intest- my intestines don't look like your intestines, Lucas or Don. We all have different. That includes anything from like length of lower and smaller. They're all bundled up. And so like people just kind of look at them and like, yeah, that's the same. But it's not. It's potentially big because how do we know we're, as a scientific community, how do you know that you're speaking to the right problem if you're not having accurate information about all the factors? Because if you base one treatment on, like if if you were to look at someone's guts and you see that something is longer, you would say, oh, that's abnormal. We should treat it. But what if it's not abnormal? It's just that's how that person's guts are. I I know for a fact that my gut is different from yours because I don't have a gallbladder anymore. But I see your point. And, you know, maybe looking at how our guts are built helps us treat them better, you know? I mean, I certainly could see some hope in it. Before I knew my gallbladder was like causing problems, people had no idea what was wrong with me because it was just like no one had, no one cared, no one knew what was going on. So they're just like, "Oh no, you're you have anxiety. Go on and eat that. Eat, take these drugs, and you know, calm down." It's like, no, there's actually something wrong with me. So more research on the gut certainly can hurt. All right. So as you know, as gut wrenching as that information was, very good. 
<laughs> you've been you've been spending some time with Don. <laughs> Honestly, when you do the work I'm into, like you have to have some puns. It's the only acceptable humor no one gets upset about. Well, they groan, but that's not upset. That's just a, a deep laugh as far as I'm concerned. But I kind of want to talk more about the, the writer's strike that's happening in Hollywood because I don't know how that will go into games in the future. I mean, like, you guys have heard of this thing, right? Yeah. So right, uh, the Writers Guild of America uh, is just started their strike today. We're recording on May 2nd. So they just st- first day of the strike was today after negotiations broke down. In the here and now, it does not affect games because the Writers Guild does not do or writers for video games are not part of the WGA. But that's not to say that the conversations that are being had by the WGA and their negotiations and what they're striking about aren't going to be or have far-reaching implications to industries beyond this. Pay is a big issue, appropriate compensation, all those kinds of things. One of the more interesting ones, too, that they bring up is they wanted AI, uh, artificial intelligence, addressed. I mean, that's something artists have been fighting for on the internet for a few months now, so it's interesting that the writers are bringing into it. We've all seen AI started cropping up. Like in, in my field, people have started thinking, hey, if we're making interpretive projects, why not try doing it with an AI? And so I saw someone literally type into a chat GDP of like, hey, can you make an interpretive talk about uh, this certain gecko that's found in this mountain range? And boom, it's there. And it looks like some, I mean, C plus work, but still like it, it's there. And it's available, and instead of spending an hour, you spent three seconds. And that's, that, I mean, I mean, you might have to edit it a bit, but like you've just said so much work, and you can now use that program to help teach people about endangered species without any hard work. I, I think it's got a lot of interesting possibilities, but also a lot of kind of potentially very dicey things it could have that it could do. I don't think AI are going to affect your fish yet, so I think you're good. <laughs> You don't know that for sure. <laughs> they just start getting an AI that knows how to fish better than you. You ask the AI at where best to go hunting or shoot or go fishing or anything. But the, I don't know. I mean, there might be some listeners out there who weren't alive for the last writer strike. Cause that was 2007, 2008. Let me introduce all of you listeners to the wonderful film. That is transformers two. But like, if you remember like some of some shows, there were some shows that were like, like Chuck got hit hard by the I know, strike. and I loved Chuck. One of my favorite shows. Friday Night Lights got hit hard by... I think Friday Night Lights got hit hard by the writer's strike. Heroes. Yeah, Heroes got got. So I was looking into this as well. And like those, and there are, at the moment, we're not going to be noticing the effects. The biggest effects are that all the late shows are gone, which, if you ask me, not the biggest loss we've had as a society what'll be interesting to compare like the 0708 strike to this strike if it you know lasts as long i think the 0708 one lasted 100 days as a viewer you did not see the effects of it for a, for some time yeah because like stuff's already written and and it's being produced nowadays though with streaming are we gonna see the effects faster because there's more media more uh, available 
and we're not waiting for like the new slate of shows in the fall. Oh, that's true. It's like a now it really is a 365 process. You get shows coming out in June and like May when they never would have come out in those times. So it'll be interesting to see how uh, if if that has any implications. Obviously, we did not mention it either with the strike, but they obviously want a lot of streaming aspects of compensation re- regarding streaming to be addressed. I mean, with the video games though, like how long before the writers start getting those ideas as well, thinking, "Hey, wait a minute." If I'm making a video game, why don't I just get like the AI to write me the uh, character's dialogue for this uh, turn-based RPG? Why do I need to pay some dude to make it? And video games have notoriously stayed unionized. This might be the first domino or at least one of many dominoes to get knocked down that might actually lead to more unionization in gaming which I think is a huge win for gaming. I hope the writers get what they fairly deserve for all the work that they do. But I also hope nobody screws up season two of Wednesday, if that makes any sense. I, uh, I like that. That is that is what you're hoping for. I mean, I ha- I can have. I'm a complex organism. I can want more than one thing. Anywho, on to the topic of the day. I want to talk about Breath of the Wild. I know by the time this game has come out, like this uh, this podcast has come out, the game's already out for a week, so everyone already knows how amazing it is. It's it's it's, it's an amazing game. That's all we need. I, I think that's the safest prediction we'll make on this show. Yeah, no. And what what hasn't been said about Breath of the Wild? Like, I'm, I'm asking y'all, seriously. Like, everyone knows this game. Like, you've all played this. You know it's awesome. It's a top-tier, like, all-time game. It's like the must-play game. If you own a Switch, you own Breath of the Wild. That's usually You own Breath of the Wild and you own Mario Kart. Those are, like, the two everyone owns. I mean, it's the game that people – it's the game that sells Switches. It's the game that changed gaming landscapes, but it's so interesting that this one game changed the scope of all, all the other games coming out because now the Genshin Impact runs where Breath of the Wild walked because they literally just stole all the ideas of Breath of the Wild and made it a gotcha game with like anime people to like purchase. Like it, It's insane how one game could change such a shift. And the fact that they were able to make a sequel. sequel, And you know the story of the sequel, right? Like why it was made? I honestly don't. So they had so many ideas for DLC that they decided, screw it. We'll just make a whole game with all these features. I like that, though. Like they were going to have so much DLC. They're like, no, forget it. Let's just make a whole new game out of this. And it's amazing. I mean, I did do some digging, some light digging. And as much as people talk about this game, they talk about the gameplay. They talk about like the different mechanisms to go faster and like all that stuff. No one actually talks too much about the ecosystem, like the actual wildlife, which comes from my hot take. The world is not as terrible to live in from an environmental standpoint. Thus I stand that Ganondorf while evil is all get out, didn't do the worst thing he could have done to Hyrule. I will. I, I, I need to make one thing. One, one thing clear, Lucas. Okay. I hear what you're saying, but are you ignoring the fact that Ganon did not actually get to affect the landscape because he was sealed within Hyrule Castle? I'm saying that he has all his little ghouls and goblins running around. Little green ghouls. (laughs) He has all these things running around, all these terrifying creatures that could easily be destroying the ecosystem. Like, just no, he could have literally, hey, my minions, run wild, destroy everything in your path, and they don't. Like, think about it. There are native flora and fauna that are flourishing. 
there are fish in the sea, there are birds in the sky, there's edible vegetation that is, like, everywhere. And even though more and more demons keep showing up every time there's a blood moon, like, the ecosystem in Breath of the Wild is really robust. The creators of this game created a truly wild area. And I think that's something to be applauded, and it also joins the fact that they didn't intend to, but Ganondorf just turned to be, to be like Greenpeace or something. He's just like, nah, I love the planet. I just hate you people. I don't think that's what Ganondorf stands for. I don't. I don't think we know. You know have you asked? I don't think that's what he's about. <laughs> I think, uh, what's it? I don't think he's the Triforce of Eco. I think he's the Triforce of Power there, Lucas. <laughs> okay, but like, hear me out though. The ecosystem is doing so well. They have rhinos and moose that are still roaming. These animals require tons of food in order to survive. I once saw a rhino lose 75 pounds just by taking a crap. That's a real thing they'll do. They need to eat a lot of food to do that. I think in order to truly settle this debate, Lucas, we need to see, we need the the years after Breath of the Wild concludes where there is no Ganon to see if the wildlife is still flourishing because it either the world was already so great that it flourished in spite of Ganondorf or what you're saying. Look, I'm just saying that like he only corrupted the lands around the castle again. He was trapped there. So I kind of get it. I mean, but for whatever reason, the rest of the world is left like unpurpled and toxic for like a hundred years. He's a naturalist. He's a nerd. He's a like a plant nerd. I basically imagine Ganondorf like in his like locked up tower, just like surrounded by plants, watering them, waiting for some dude to come in there and try and wreck his stuff. I feel like I'm going to disagree with that interpretation of Ganondorf, but you, <laughs> should... you go off. He's a plant nerd. He, he likes nature. He's just uh, he's not he's misunderstood. He hates it. OK, imagine if hear me out. Imagine if. The Breath of the Wild world, like, we remove Ganon, we beat the big green dude, no matter how buff and chiseled he is when he's been rehydrated, he's, like, he's beat. But then, like, as the years go by and we get the Sheikah technology, we get more and more technologically advanced. And this causes some pollution and devastation and then advanced rigors of capitalism. Before you know it, boom! Cleveland, Ohio. Ganon was the good guy. He stopped Cleveland from being born. That, that, that was a ride you went on, Lucas. It's Cle- no, he's Ganondorf's plan was to make sure that Hyrule never became Cleveland. Also, Cleveland, Cleveland is fine. And I flew over Cleveland once and landed there. It was winter, so I can't give it the full benefit of the doubt. You can't judge like, Cleveland by its winters, just like you can't judge Florida by its humid, humid summers. You mean the time where everyone shows up in Florida? <laughs> I, I will say something like, aside from my clearly insane ramblings, um, I think it's really cool that they do add some, like, not too many, but there is at least one place that's kind of based off a relocation. So the Thunder Plateau, I hated running through it. it was is, a that nightmare the, is that the one with the uh, the giant Lionel on the top? That's the one where the lightning strikes kept hitting you. Over oh, and over yeah, and yeah, over yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't like that place. Yeah, like, you have to go all across Hyrule to get a rubble, a rubber suit to run around in, or, like, get a helmet that deflects it. So with the Thunder Plateau, I mean, it's a nightmare to run through, but there is a real place that has similar issues to it. Catatumbo Lake in Venezuela has lightning strikes occur during storms about 16 to 40 times a minute. Oh, I've seen like videos of that place. Yeah, it's like not real. I mean, it's real, but it doesn't look real. Yeah, no, it's and 
I had to look it up. The reason that it has these issues is that when the storms are caused by the winds coming off from the lake, they meet the heat and the moisture from the plains nearby, and it's all trapped right around the Andes Mountains. Basically, you're just sequestering all of this storm in one spot. And again, it's a spectacle. It's a tourist location. Imagine going to the place like, hey, you, you want to almost get struck by lightning 40 times? I got the spot for you. But it's beautiful. They must sell a lot of rubber suits. <laughs> I do not want to wander into the mountains of Venezuela and come across a group of people wearing all rubber suits. I, I'm imagining like it's like a bring your own suit. And I'm imagining someone showing up in like the, the Xenomorph costume Don, <laughs> like the original like rubberized. Oh, one. my God. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> but. It, apparently it had a lot of issues because there was a drought that caused the storms to kind of die off and it caused the tourism to die off. Also, that was around 2020. So I guess tourism wasn't already doing very well anyway, but it's still cool how like these, uh, the climate change did affect that in such a way. But in any case, I, I think that's also just cool that they added that. One of the really cool things they did add as well, which like triggers my unhinged rant about Ganon being secretly into green stuff is that for the first legend of zelda game they actually added like real animals not just chickens that are out for blood or horses you could ride they're they're only out for blood if you just chuck them around like everyone did i mean <laughs> we'll get back to that i guess later but like with um like you don't just have one bird you have multiple different bird species and they're all found in different locations even like the songbirds are a little bit different based on where you're going, based on what you're finding. And, like, they have swamp birds in the swampy area. They have ocean animals near the ocean. That seems really basic and, like, a no-duh moment. But the fact that over every other game in The Legend of Zelda, the only natural wildlife you meet are monsters. Or, and, and a horse. And a horse. One horse. <laughs> like, the in Wind Waker, my number one Zelda game is Wind Waker, you find, like, fish and squid, and they're all trying to kill you. In Ocarina of Time, you find a bunch of monsters that all try to kill you. Twilight Princess is a grimdark horror fantasy. Of course everything wants to kill you. Like, there, like there's no other Zelda game. There's no, nothing like it where you can just go into the woods and just go find some birds and look at some lizards. And it's so interesting to me that, that like, that's such a huge step for the game. But again... It was such a big deal that now all these other open world games started popping up using this as inspiration. This game came out in 2016. And since then, we've had a number of different people, like, basically, like, they dark sold this game in the sense of, like, oh, this is just uh, blank, but Breath of the Wild. Like, you know, have you seen those games before? Yeah. Well, I mean, like, Legends Arceus. <laughs> yeah, Pokemon, but Breath of the Wild. Like, exactly. Uh, it, if you really want to date this game, Lucas, all you have to say is it was released on the Wii U. Ooh. I don't like that. It also, um, weirdly enough, it is continuing, like, the curse of... Um, uh, the, have you heard of the Horizon Zero Dawn curse? Have either of you played Horizon Zero Dawn? A little bit, at the very beginning. I am not a PlayStation gamer. So, Horizon Zero Dawn, again red-haired super awesome warrior fighting against mechanized animals in a post-apocalyptic future that came out around the same time as breath of the wild and so people assumed it was copying it even though it came out at the same time and then like the sequel came out at the same time as a uh, dom what was it again elden rings yes 
sequel came out at the same time as Elden Ring, and now the DLC that just dropped like a week ago is now coming up and has to go up against Breath of the Wild again. Like that game is so cursed. Like it can never escape because it does a lot of the same stuff that Breath of the Wild does, but it just did it completely on accident. And I feel kind of bad. I mean, in any case, I do think that what Ganon did to the citizens of Hyrule, all the bird and fish people was terrible, but I do think he left the environment alone. So I think he can't be all bad. Oh man. All right. <laughs> I mean, unless you want something else to add to my deranged ramblings, I'll admit this is deranged off the front. No, you're you're just a Ganondorf stan. There's always one. Have you seen, dude? Have you seen what he looks like when he's been rehydrated? Yeah, I'm gonna follow that dude. Look at him. Was he rehydrated, or is it just the power of normal hydration? Everyone drink your water. Yeah, everyone drink like Ganondorf. Like before, like before not drinking like eight cups of water a day. After drinking eight cups of water a day, hydrate or dehydrate. God no. The the internet reacted. Um, let's use the word positively towards his new look the internet reacted as one would expect the internet to react yeah that's as far as we're gonna <laughs> say on this program all right lucas tell t- you're gonna you're gonna tell me tell me how to beat some stuff up though right yeah no this is called tearing up the kingdom i'm not just gonna be standing for ganon i am 100 percent gonna tell you how to beat up his monsters absolutely the only blight on the land are his creatures let's get rid of them now obviously in the game you have tons of enemies your weapons keep breaking but that probably wouldn't stop you from trying to take out your enemies. I mean, weapons break in real life. Like when you're going up against a number of foes and keep in mind, a lot of these weapons are like over a hundred years old. So of course they're going to break. Of course you're beating something up with a stick. If you don't like that, your weapons break. Sorry. That's the game mechanic play another game. But since most of these monsters are based on real world animals or some, or have some relation to real biology, we could probably find a way to beat them without having to pick up ancient swords at least most of them right like i i'm not i i won't be able to beat up ganondorf with strong words and a stick but i will be not able to take out attitude <laughs> no don you do it you go uh, you be the Dude, let's player I just, see, I just see red bro <laughs> <laughs> just leave don with a stick and like we turn our backs for five seconds and ganondorf's like begging for help Don is more resourceful than Ganondorf. That is the other theme of this episode. <laughs> you try trapping Don in Hyrule Castle and see what happens. <laughs> oh my gosh. We'll mod the game and just leave Don in the castle. All right. Let's start with the easy ones. Um, the Bokoblins and the Moblins. Honestly, they're kind of terrifying if you know anything about pigs. Pigs are scary. A pig that can communicate with other pigs and have tool usage is terrifying to me. Like, pigs have tested to have better problem-solving skills than dogs. They breed ridiculously quickly. They are resistant to snake venom. They are durable enough to handle almost any environment to the point that the Spanish literally dropped them off on islands, knowing that they would flourish and they could come back and get jerky or know that if someone was shipwrecked, they would have a food source to go after. Pigs are durable creatures. And your plan was to arm them with sticks and shovels and, like, tool-making skills. Well done, Ganon. That's a fighting force I can get behind. And make them bipedal. And make them bipedal. Like, I'll be honest, they're scary enough on four legs. The end of Breath of the Wild shows you that much. I mean, if you didn't have that bow of light, like, I don't know, just die, I guess. (laughs) But combined, they have also thick hide. It's really easy to see how they could take over the world. But... The best way you could probably beat them would 
honestly be trying to avoid them as much as possible until you get a weapon. Like, until you get something, these are not something I would mess with. It's weird that these are, like, considered the easy enemies in the game when these ones would probably be some of the toughest in reality because they are cognitive. They have thought process. They know how to cook. I don't want to fight anything that knows how to cook. That's, like, a good staple of, like, don't mess with this thing, right? Yeah, that's pretty high level. Oh, God, he's reaching for the paprika. We're screwed. Why paprika? I don't know, man. They don't. They got spices and stuff. Again, it's growing everywhere. Ganon has a green thumb. But I do think that if you, as long as you have fire as a general weapon, it works pretty well. Like, honestly, if you just started lighting a fire, they would panic and start running. So definitely the strategy of sneaking around, lighting a fire in one area, and then sneaking around and grabbing their stuff, that was a strategy I actually used in the game when I didn't have a weapon. You know, distract them, grab their stuff, poke them in the butt. The old razzle-dazzle. Yeah, give them the old, the old razzle-dazzle. Very good. But I do see that as the... I mean, unless you all have a better option of taking on a pig. I have not taken on a pig in my life, Lucas. And that may surprise you. Don, thoughts? I mean, I've I've taken on a few pigs. I've never done so with um, Breath of the Wild tier weaponry, though. <laughs> Other than, like, yeah. Do yeah, goblins have tusks? They have teeth. I mean, In my head, they do. Yeah. I know they have, have, a, I know they have a horn. I know yeah. they have a horn. I don't know if they have tusks, though. Yeah, the horn might be a bit of an issue. No, they kind of got some little fangs, I think, right? Yeah. yeah, being bit by them wouldn't be a problem, but, like, it wouldn't be as bad as them charging at you with said fangs. <laughs> oh, okay, I'm looking at other bokoblins, I think. Yeah, they got, like, little fangs, but yeah, yeah, I was looking get... at some of the other ones. And you collect them for, like, parts to sell to, like, the monster dude. Like, it, they, you can beat them, but, like, they are one of those monsters of, like, I don't know how you beat them without a weapon. Because, honestly, if you were actually hitting a pig with a stick in real life, it would not be hurt. It would just be angry. <laughs> like, there would not be, like, a Breath of the Wild health bar. There would be a Dark Soul health bar, and no damage was done. <laughs> like, I don't want to fight the pig. I like the implication, though, that there's some industry for truffle hunting with bokoblins. Well, hang on now. You're, I mean, you got a point. Maybe that's like, maybe we'll get a future Zelda game where like the Bokoblins have realized that they can just be like truffle merchants to the humans <laughs> and they've just become like a very wealthy like group. And like, they're very like, suddenly they're like the most advanced, like they've got all the <laughs> sickest castles and stuff. You, just, They literally are like the, the old school, like anime merchant. Like they're just really fat with like a fan, like, oh you come to me for resources. Oh, I was thinking about um isn't there a is it Wind Waker? There's the one girl who's like gets kidnapped by the bird and then like yes! she's dating a moblin. Isn't doesn't that moblin wear like a top hat or something cuz she's fancy? <laughs> oh my gosh, yes, he's exact. Isn't they're there something just, with that. They have all the money but they're still scruffy looking and wearing a lorn cloth but just one top hat like hello yeah. fellow Hyrulean. <laughs> I, I like that. I I like that headcanon now. Now, one thing I don't know if we'd be able to properly civilize into society are the choo-choos. It's a living ball of slime, and once again, really scary. Little jelly balls. Yeah, but, like, why are slimes considered the weakest enemies in any RPG? Because they're squishy. Because it, it's weird to me that they are. can't, like, hit goo with a sword because the goo will repel it. You can't step on it because it will stick to your boot. I mean, you could slap it into a bunch of little pieces of goo. Yeah, but then the goo, like, comes back together. This thing then behaves like... you have like two a... sticks. Stick win every time. <laughs> it's a deep cut right there. Deep dawn cut. Like, you have two sticks. 
that's the, that's how we well, you've, the seen, you've seen that right it's like an old like post that was like who wins the u.s marine corps or a stick and so <laughs> someone was like they just break the stick it is like then you have two stick stick win every time <laughs> i haven't seen that one it's like very old we just thought we mod Breath of the Wild to the only weapons remaining are two sticks. Like, you don't even have a shield. You can just hold two. It's that that meme of Moses' life when The Simpsons holding two knives. Like, I gotta admit, this feels pretty good right now. But I honestly compare these things to slime molds. And if you don't know what a slime mold is, it's one of the most... It's a weirdly complex group of organisms that, while quite small on their own, organize into clusters that will do some pretty amazing things. They are capable, and this is, again, yeah, this is like a little bit of mold that's moving around. They are capable. Oh, you're like, yeah, they've done, like, the whole, su- they, like, did the subway system, but better. Yeah, they literally took a, um, they basically put different spots of food on a map of Japan, and they just said, all right, slime molds, go find the best route to get the food. And they were able to build, like, a, almost like a train-like system of the most efficient way to get to the food, and it copies and it almost completely copied the transit system for japan except for the fact that there were like a few like you know physical obstacles in the way that it couldn't really have predicted like it's wild they they smell food regenerate navigate mazes they even pass along information to other slime molds and they don't even have a brain like the choo-choo is terrifying to me like the choo-choo is not one organism it's a lot of organisms that just somehow developed eyes and now hungers for your blood i remember the I keep going. I keep thinking more. I just really like Wind Waker, you guys. I just it's keep my favorite. About the it's cool my little side too. quest for the blue choo choos as well. Yeah, no. If there's any, well, we will definitely talk about Wind Waker at some point because, in my opinion, it's my favorite Zelda game. So we will get to talk about all that. Shout out to anybody that did the uh, camera gallery. Oh, you would. Oh, that's a hell of a quest. I've worked on that one. I don't think I ever finished it. I got close. That's I think, the best then, like, one. That's the best. I just loved me. I honestly like brief side tangent. I just loved sailing. I just like being on the open blue. Oh, it's cool. Music's great. Yeah. In any case, um, the only way you could honestly beat these things is uh, wow, it's weird that fire keeps coming up in these. But yeah, uh, uh, your weapons are next to useless. You can either dehydrate them or in case of the fire ones, cool them down. The one cool thing about the slime molds is that they are still organic. And you are able to beat them. You just have to realize that hitting them with one or two or a hundred sticks probably isn't going to work. You have to find out a way to either deprive it of nutrients or reduce its cells to atoms. Dehydrating them might not even work because they could probably just lay dormant until they get enough hydration. Uh, Not to mention that some of them can even generate electricity. So I don't even know how you beat that. I mean, I guess a rubber suit. Yeah, the rubber. You literally just wrap it in the rubber suit and just leave it in the river. Just, aren't there you they go. pretty? Um, I mean, aren't slime? Oh, you're about choo choo specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I thought, like for a second we were on slime mounds. I was like, I think you could just like make them too warm and they die. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like that's the thing with the choo choos. Like I some mean, of them you, are like on fire and stuff. Even yeah. Yeah. So you just for those ones, it's just like some water on them and they'll harden up. But even then, like if they still have an internal burning core, like that might help reheat them enough to keep going. Like, yeah. there's a, like, I'm surprised he's even able to beat these things at all in the game. Link has his work cut out for him. I mean, the next ones aren't exactly easy either, and that's going to be the the Octoroks. Love these mm. guys. Oh, Octoroks are fun. It's a cephalopod with a gun. Uh, what do you what do you guys call a cephalopod with a gun? A glocktopus. There it is. I love that joke. 
Can't use that at work, but I do love it. <laughs> but yeah, no, it, it's a Galactopus. It just shoots rocks instead of bullets. And it's cool that it's learned to live on land. That that rock staring at me pops up, hits you in the head. Like It's a great addition to Ganon's army to bring a cephalopod in. They're great problem solvers. They're durable. And they got a short lifespan, so they don't get any ideas of like rebelling or trying new things for too long. The Moblins have a long enough lifespan to realize, hey, wait a minute, I could wear a top hat and sell truffles. The octopus, the rock, the Octoroks, nah, they don't have any such notion. Just hit the thing with the rocks and they'll be just fine. I mean, a real octopus, though, is, um, they are quite squishy, though. So, but they are very good at surviving. But they don't shoot rocks at you. I mean, real world octopuses have been able to pull off some stuff. Like, I, they do punch fish. And that's out of spite. That's a real octopus. That's not like a, a video game thing. They wait. Okay, we have. So we're just a bunch of fish punchers. Yeah, no, they'll punch fish, and sometimes they have been, you gotta. Yeah, sometimes you just gotta throw an arm at somebody. But I mean, I like that they kind of got the camouflage thing down, where like each one of them kind of has that different texture and disguise. And with a real world octopus, they're able to control their chromatophores to not just look. Not chromatophores. What's the word? Pigment. Nah, it's pigment. Well, chromatophores is the color-changing thing. Yeah, right? I wanted to make sure I got it right. For a second there, I thought it said chloroplast, you know, like what's in plants. But like, no, okay, I'm good. But it's cool because the real-world octopuses cannot only change their coloration. They can even change their body texture. I've seen octopuses go from looking like coral to looking like sand in an instant to try and avoid predation. Or in the case of that octopus, trying to hide from people because he thought they looked scary. In his defense, there were like 40 kids. So like, you know, it's a little terrifying. Uh, to kill it, though, honestly, hit it between the eyes. Uh, octopuses have radial intelligence. Their neurons are located in the arms. But the central brain is right between the eyes. So if you hit that, you'll set it into a seizure, and then you can just keep... This is the part where you could hit it with sticks. Like, they are squishy, but hitting them with sticks could also work. So we don't have to kill it with fire. No, no, this one is one you don't need fire on. Um, I think it's also, I mean, they should be stunned long enough so where they shot a rock at you, you just pick it up and just keep hitting them with said rock. They already gave you the ammo for it. Also, apparently some of them can fly. Like, they float, which is also pretty bonkers, and I love that about them. But that's also, like, sharpened stick. Octorox, not octopuses. Right? Yeah, Octorox, not <laughs> octopuses. I have to learn to distinguish between fantasy-like uh, creatures. Yeah, my bad. Uh, I will say, weird cephalopod fact. Uh, a squid's brain is shaped like a donut, and thus it is, and it's also located right over the esophagus. So, if this thing bases more of its anatomy on a squid than an octopus, technically, if you knock the rock back in, it might get lodged in the esophagus and not only choke it, but also give it a seizure. Fun, that was actually one of the fun, coolest fun things. Octopus I... facts with Lucas. <laughs> that was a squid fact. That was a squid. Uh, fact. Yep. Yeah, a squid fact. Yeah, squids are weird, octopuses are weirder, but now you know. Honestly, it's more upsetting to me that, like, because some squid, like giant squid, Humboldt squid, eat, like, big prey items, and the fact that they have to take such, like, teeny tiny bites, like, makes it worse. Yeah, no, they cannot take a big bite at the risk of having a seizure. <laughs> Which is just, like, evol it's, it's proof that evolution is not perfect. It's proof that... Yeah. Great portion control practice. Yes, I would say so. Yes, that's quite nice. Uh, the next one I kind of want to talk about are the quiche. Because they're honestly the easiest to like take out, they're because bats. they're a bat that traded super hearing for super sight. They're like ninety percent their Achilles heel. Yeah, one word, 
Well, it was actually two words. Pocket sand. Yeah, pocket sand. Honestly, when you make yourself a giant eyeball, I don't know what you think you're doing. That's why they have to go into swarms. I mean, it's not unheard of for bats to have excellent eyesight. I mean, the fruit bats don't exactly need echolocation to locate where the bananas are, but their eyesight at night can be really, really helpful. So they're actually not super blind. Actually, most bats aren't blind. It's just their hearing is just so much better. But I do think it's really cool that, like, with bats in general, you can get this sort of stuff. But the quiche, um, I mean, sand, dirt, rocks. I mean, there's a reason these things move in swarms. But if you have enough dirt and sand just chucked at them, pretty sure you'll be safe. Like, they're not the most terrifying. Hit the eye. Yeah, hit the eye. For You can't eat. I, it's easier to hit the eye than to not hit the eye, if you get my meaning. You could be aiming for the wings, and you'll still hit the eye. I mean, once it's blind, it freaks out, it falls, and once again, get the two sticks and hit it. Well, you've also got those uh, those special heat-seeking arrows that they showed in the demo last time. That would be hilarious to kill one of these things with its own kind, and I'm going to be doing that quite a bit. Oh, what a beautiful eye you have. Oh, wait, it's coming right at me. Bang! Now, the last one, and I needed your help on this one. I couldn't complete the notes because I ran out of ideas. The Lionel, all I have in my notes are run. Because I've got nothing. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's that's all. You should not be studying the Lionel. <laughs> like, the Lionel is not... First off, where do you aim to get its heart? Uh, that's, your, that's your classic centaur question. Yeah, like, I mean, only centaurs usually in depicted fiction are like, you know, either like gangly or like human-esque. So you can kind of make some guesses. This thing is like built... Maybe like it just a, has two. Yeah, it just it might as well have three at this point. Like it has probably four lungs. It's built with magic in its system. It carries weapons that no normal person can carry. This thing is absolutely it shoots fire. I've got nothing. I can literally think of better plans to take out those miserable wizards than I can think of taking out of the Lionel. They are nature's perfect killing machine. In regards to your question, Lucas, so if we were to break this creature into two parts we've got the human part and the horse part if you were to purely take their organs a human heart could not provide the enough power for what a horse needs so would the horse part have the heart also are there two rib cages i mean i feel like they'd have to double up on everything because the distance that the blood would have to travel to go upwards to the brain also requires specialized valves similar to that of giraffe otherwise yeah because basically like i mean it clearly has a sternum like it's a chest bone but then like the bottom part like if that was a horse there would be ribs there and all that kind of stuff so does it just have it twice yeah maybe it's like got um no honestly like if if you're right if it's breathing that way it's such a huge horse body would probably need more oxygen maybe unless they just have a super strong diaphragm or like maybe their whole body's a trachea I don't know horse body or maybe it's got book lungs like an insect and it's got little secret lungs on its sides that would be one way I mean it doesn't it certainly doesn't like you riding it that's what I know for certain maybe that's where part of the book lungs are like hey stop I can't breathe get off and then also they're chucking lightning at you (laughs) yeah they're chucking magic and stuff I don't know how to beat that more rubber suits (laughs) quick get and then they're chucking fireballs at you 
And at which point you're pausing the game and you're like changing out of suits instantly. And the Lionel's just really confused as it switches up magic and you just it blip out of existence into a new suit every time. I mean, I'm just upset that they come in varieties and even the basic one is like really, really tough and you can't stop. Like you, you basically need ancient technology or just be kind of a troll to beat them. And it's not easy. <laughs> Like, it's not, I mean, you get rewarded by cool weapons and stuff, but like, in the end, that is one creature where it's like, you cannot science your way past this. It is, you get a weapon, go learn how to forge, eat some soup, and go beat it up. Now, can I throw one more creature into this mix? Do we have time? I think we have time. I want to know both of your thoughts on the Lizalfos. Lizalfo, oh, the, the chameleon lizard things? Yes. I love them. I think they look cool as heck, but they're also, I, I, I like, are they, aren't they affected by cold? Um, there, I feel like there's icy ones, right? But maybe they're shivering. The, the, they are found in cold areas. Yeah. That's the thing that throws me off completely. Like they are reptiles. Like they are clearly reptiles. They, oh, they're, and so you can have electric ones, you can have ice ones. I think you can have fire ones. So they're they're el- very elemental based on where they are. Like they're weirdly enough, I'm cool with the electric ones more than I am the ice ones. And the fire ones are also cool. I mean, I know there are lizards and reptiles that live on volcanoes. We talked about turtles that lived on volcanoes last time. But you can you can make a case that they are adapting to their environments to survive. Well, that also means that they're warm blooded. And that means that they would actually have to have an internal core to keep themselves going, or they've found a way to function at lower body temperatures, similar to like some of the fish that can freeze, that have antifreeze for blood in the Arctic. What would happen if you took an ice Lizolfo and just put it on like Thunder Mountain? Uh, get zapped, like everything else on Thunder Mountain. I mean, okay, so bad example, bad example. Put it on like the Great Plains. On the Great Plains? Oh, on the Moblins eat it. Next question. It meant would it how long would it survive honestly depending on the, if you dropped it off at night probably a little bit longer because of the cooler temperatures but if you dropped it off during the day that thing would start getting really uncomfortable whenever you see any sort of animal going through that sort of temperature shock any number of issues can occur the organs are going to start overtaxing themselves to stay alive this is going to cause undue stress to the body this is going to cause all number of issues to the organism and that's like anything, really. Like, if you took a polar bear and dropped it off in the desert, it's not going to have a good time. Uh, I, here I am looking at the list of these, and I'm like, okay, where would I drop, like, the lizard Lizolfo to have it have a bad time? And my only thought is just, like, literally drop it in water like a light bulb and see what happens. I, again, it's an amazing bunch of enemies that they've put in front of us. And they've had these enemies for decades now. It's another great example of how adding a diversity of the same enemies can sometimes get repetitive, but if you put them in the right spot, it's actually pretty awesome gameplay design. And as much as I joke about Ganon being right and like how it's eat, how fire is the best weapon, this game, I, it's so good. Like it, everyone, like it, it, it's at the point where like, remember how everyone just hated frozen because it was super popular I'm afraid that some people might go into Breath of the Wild like, oh, everyone loves this game, but it's not that great. I'm like, no, you're wrong. This game is literally one of the greatest games ever created, at least in the past 10 to 20 years. This game has literally changed the landscape of gaming, and the sequel is probably going to do the same. I'm going to take 
the weird adaptations this game's let me have, and I'm going to make a weird rock mech and drive it around town because that's how I want a game. You're going to make the lawnmower. Oh, I'm going to – you better believe I'm going to make the lawnmower. I'm going to grind them up good. <laughs> Meanwhile, Don is out in the woods just with his two sticks like, let's do this. <laughs> I would honestly pay to watch a Don speedrun Breath of the Wild with two sticks. Honestly, I – like I, I yeah, I, I miss playing those games. I, I'm looking forward to getting into it. I mean, again. one of my coworkers, like their kids are like super into the game, and we bonded over like saying, yeah, no, this game is going to be great. I'm hoping that like all the zoos and aquariums out there have gotten like their memes prepared and are actually using it to help promote conservation because like very rarely is the cultural zeitgeist focused on singular points that you can track. You can easily see like the Mario movie was one of them. This game coming out. Oh, the eyes of the world are on it. This has been, this has been on the calendar since it was announced. Yeah, no, everyone knows it. Everyone's going to love it. Probably playing it as this episode came out right now. I mean, I still, right now I'm trying to get through Advanced Wars. That game is fun, but it is a lot harder than I remember. But I do want to thank you guys for, again, listening to my tirade. Y'all didn't have to show up, but you did. So, Don and Chris, thank you. All right, y'all. Thank you so much for listening. Please have a wonderful rest of your day or night. Obviously, we're still on that newer end of podcasts. Eventually, we'll have to stop saying that. But we do want to thank you guys for listening. We have seen you guys listening to our stuff. We appreciate your kind words about what we do. As long as you keep giving us a chance to teach, we'll keep doing this sort of stuff. So thank you guys. Please have a wonderful rest of your day. See you guys in the next one.